What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child. We really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. Hi, everybody. This is Jen. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I am sitting with Stephanie Mendeloff. I'm so excited about this conversation. I always have a good time when I sit with Stephanie. She's one of the most creative people that I know, and she is a go-getter. So it's exciting um, to see her work and to watch her work in in our education community. And I'm going to give her a little bit of time to just introduce herself and let you know what's going on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I also always enjoy chatting with you. Um, I Yeah, so I'm Stephanie Mendeloff. I am a former teacher, instructional coach, and curriculum writer who uh, about two years ago now, I guess, this last year is a blur, so it's crazy to say, but two years ago, I left sort of traditional education to start CREA, um, CREA Curriculum and Consulting, which is an education nonprofit with a mission to grow the next generation of creative leaders. Um, In pre-pandemic, that looked like going into schools and doing in and out of school programming directly with kids, um, where kids move through this eight pillar project-based learning process in order to design and execute projects that they cared about. And so kids would make anything from, um, you know, some kids would launch businesses, some kids would organize social movements, some kids would put on plays or design architectural models. It was really about helping them identify a project that was meaningful to them and then giving the, them the tools and the mindsets to bring that idea to life. Um, and then in the process, they get to ask questions like, who am I and what do I care about and what am I good at and what impact do I want to have on the world around me? Um, so that was pre-pandemic. I guess in the midst of pandemic, <laughs> um, we are doing primarily teacher training and offering that whole experience in the form of a teacher curriculum. And so now I train teachers um, on how to bring this experience to kids um, and provide them with a full curriculum that includes lesson plans and presentation materials and manipulatives for students to use um, so that they can bring that experience to kids in their classrooms. And I'm also a mom, which is a new development for me. So I have a one-year-old and I'm pregnant with another. And that has all happened in the last year while navigating this pandemic. So that's been sort of a big part of my journey over the last year too. Yeah, I think it's so fitting that we're actually sitting down at this recording on International Women's Day, which I... I'm so happy to be sitting talking to you, a badass woman mm-hmm. who is a small business owner, who is entrepreneurial, who is a design thinker, who is a teacher. Um, I know you said former teacher, but I, I feel like, no way, you're still, you're still a teacher. Yeah. You're still yeah. teaching. 
who you're teaching might have changed and what you're teaching might have changed, but you're, you're always going to be a teacher and a a wonderful teacher. Yes. And And also, isn't it like the week that lockdown started one year ago? Yeah. So that also feels like eerie. It's so Um, strange. Right. And like, it's hard to capture if you try to sit down and think about all the ways that things are different. It's mm. hard to sort of, or it's hard for me to sit down and think what was different a year ago. And, and for you, because you became a new mom, I mean, it's like yes. layers of what was different a year yes. ago yes. and you launched a business. Um, but you're also a fellow podcaster. So you have like a lot of things happening all simultaneously. And I know that even in when we're not in a pandemic, when we're trying to, we have so many plates spinning, that sometimes Mm -hmm. it starts to feel like, oh my gosh, if I even move one millisecond, Mm -hmm. um, if I'm off by one millisecond, or I move one millimeter to the side, like something's going to fall. And I think that has only been like compounded because we're in a pandemic and because we've been in lockdown for a year. Um, I think that we're slowly maybe turning a corner with more and more people getting vaccinated. And I feel a little bit safer doing some things that maybe I hadn't been doing six months ago, but it's still a lot to navigate. So we've been talking this season about like, how are we getting through this season now that it's been a year and we're still sort of like processing and navigating and we have all these plates spinning and we've been thinking about personal mantras that we can share with our salties and just as a number one, a means for people to get to know us, but also a means for us to be encouraging to each other, because yeah. I do think that we were, we are meant to encourage each other. So what is your, how are you doing it? How have you made it this far? You had a baby during the pandemic. You're going to have another baby while we're on the tail end of pandemic life. And you're a business person. So tell me a little bit about your personal mantra. Like, how are you making this happen? I, 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 I love this question. I like really spent some time thinking about this. Um, and I also asked like everyone that I know, which I really encourage people to do because it led to such rich conversation. Like I asked a lot of my close friends and my family members. And I was just like, I was like, why haven't I asked anyone this before? Like, what an amazing way to connect and to feel inspired and yeah, just held by your community. But anyway, the two that I landed on were, what is this trying to teach me? And then, and I think connected to that is the idea of like, I am in a constant state of becoming. Um, And I guess the way that those connect for me is I do feel like um, there's this pressure to like have arrived at at a understanding of like what is going on and like, Oh, even like the idea of like, how, how are you making it work? And I'm like, am I making it work? (laughs) I don't know. Like, so like, (laughs) so like the idea that I don't have to have an answer, um, that I am just constantly in a state of becoming and that like the way that I'm doing it in this moment is okay. Um, but that there's still room for improvement, um, that there's still more to learn, um, that, 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 the present moment always has something new to teach me, whether it's about myself or it's about my community or my environment or the world around me. Um, But that there is no like finality to learning really. 
Um, there's no finality to growing and that, I don't know, I especially feel like with this anniversary, like I'm still processing all that's happened over the last year. And like, it does feel like we're turning a corner and there is sort of like a light at the end of the tunnel. And for that reason, I almost feel like I'm pausing for the first time to be like, what the heck just happened? (laughs) Seriously, where you're just like that. I feel the same way where I'm just now starting to sit down and think like, we've been doing this for a solid year mm-hmm. and it somehow feels normal. And yet I know it's not normal and that's just yeah. weird all in itself too. Yes. And it feels, it does, it does feel more normal, but it still also feels like just as confusing in some ways, like where I'm like, okay, we're turning a corner and like, we're getting like, maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I just have no idea where this tunnel is headed. Like, I just don't know what this next chapter is going to look like. And certainly like there, there's some certainty in my life that I can lean on, but um, the big picture just feels really blurry still. Yeah, for sure. Um, For sure. And so I feel like your mantra of like, I'm still, I'm still learning and I'm in this constant state of becoming is really permission giving like when I when I when we first talked about it when I read what you wrote in our our session notes I was like oh that's so it feels so good it feels like I have permission to just be like I don't have to have this figured out Mm -hmm. and that's totally okay and I'm not the only one that doesn't have it figured out you know we're all still doing the best that we can do and we're in a constant state of of becoming something else um and I think that that's especially uh, important for for women to hear and for marginalized groups of women to hear because there's this pressure all of the time to like have immediate perfection. Like it has to be perfect and it has to be perfect right now. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if I feel that more because of my age or I feel that more because of social media or I feel that more because of the leadership roles that I sometimes play or participate Mm -hmm. in. But I, I do feel like that is a that is a real live pressure that lots of people experience, but I think more women, this is me being very overgeneralizing, but I feel like more women experience that than anybody else because we have, we have to, especially if you're, if you're trying to mom at the same time, like this, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. You know, what's funny is I learned this phrase in grad school. I don't know how it was built into my curriculum and instruction, degree but like I remember learning this phrase and it resonating so much with me and it in the context in which I learned it was actually about teaching and the immense pressure that you feel as a teacher to have like arrived at master teaching or like you know having like figured out how to like get all your kids where you want them to be or like mastered this like pedagogical technique or whatever but just the idea that like there's so much pressure as a teacher to have the answers for your kids and to have the answers for your community and be able to like, and to know how to usher your class to like some sort of goal. Um, And what I learned from my professors and researchers and like the experts I was surrounded by was that like, that's actually not an effect, the most effective mindset for like growing and learning as a teacher and for sustainability in the teaching profession. Um, It's like, if you constantly feel this pressure to like have it all figured out. And like, I think this really is like 
an antidote in some ways to perfectionism, um, then you can't like really show up as a learner um, in your role as a teacher because you're just going to feel like too stressed out all the time. (laughs) Yeah, I think I saw this a lot when I was evaluating teachers. People were really like they had a mindset of I have to have the best accountability rating. Like I have to, mm-hmm. when I come to my evaluation, I have to be advanced or, or anything above proficient in everything, or it was a fail, a sense of failure, right? Like I mm-hmm. or a perception that I thought they were failing. Um, even if they felt like my perception was really inaccurate, um, they still had the sense of like, if I am not rated at the highest rating possible on a teacher evaluation, then mm-hmm. you must think I'm not doing my job well and, yeah. or I'm not doing my job well and I'm a failure. Right. And I always mm-hmm. wondered like, this is, it's set the pressure we put on ourselves and the pressure that we, we tell ourselves other people are putting on us is really weird, but it it is an opportunity to reflect and transform too. And to Mm -hmm. think like, actually we can always be getting better. I mean, and I sometimes would coach teachers and say like, if you sit down in front of me for a teacher evaluation and I say, Hey, look, you are the absolute best you're ever going to be. This was (laughs) like, this was your year. You've like, that's it. There's nothing left for you. Yeah, <laughs> like I feel like that would be a really depressing conversation to have with somebody if you just like if you look if I looked you in the eye and said you will never be better than you are right now in this moment mm-hmm. that that's actually not what you want to hear either you know like yeah, totally yeah so I do feel like telling each other we're in a constant state of becoming it's a it is a release where you think like it's okay then if somebody gives me feedback that I can act on it's not it's not a, a representation of me being a failure at something. And, and especially in this situation where nothing is going the way we plan it, like we make, we continue to make a plan and then we have to pivot because something crazy happens because yes. the numbers spike or because we have snowfall or because, you know, not enough vaccines actually make it to our city. Um, we're just in yeah. a constant state of like, now I have to pivot. And I do mm-hmm. think you can fall into the trap of like, man, something's wrong with me. I can't get it right. When it's really like, no, we're just all still trying to figure this out. Yes, totally. I agree completely. I also like in hearing you talk was wondering, like, I mean, I think there is like a fear. uh, I think like this kind of language can make people like fear complacence or something. Like it's not like, I don't know, like go get airy enough or something. Um, but for me, it, it, it's not, it doesn't function that way. And I also wonder, like, you know, teachers put a lot of pressure on their themselves and, and, you know, and anyone who works in education puts a lot of education, a pressure on themselves, but like, in what ways are the systems re- like creating that like pressured environment, you know, um, yeah. cause certainly it's not just like our own psychology. That's like creating that reality. There's certainly some some like there's certainly something about the system that's creating that pressure but anyway um for sure for sure yeah. and so I do think you can you can get stuck or start feeling burnt out and you mm-hmm. and then and then it's especially like once you start feeling as though you're on the hamster wheel and you're just stuck there that that becomes even 
more of a situation where you're just like, man, how am I going to make it out of this? This is, I'm just here. There's nothing I can do about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I had moments like that this, this year for sure. And sometimes I just had to like kind of sulk for a second. (laughs) Um, Like I had moments where I was just like, this just isn't working. (laughs) I'm like it, everything sucks. Everything everything is working against me. (laughs) Everything we do is an in-person job. Yes. Yes. And I was like, I don't want to adapt anymore. I'm tired of adapting. I'm tired of problem solving. (laughs) I'm tired of having to make it work. Like, um, but then eventually like I would get like, that didn't serve me, of course. (laughs) Um, and didn't serve like my larger purpose. Um, and so eventually I would come back to the question of like, okay, what is this trying to teach me? Yeah. How am I still becoming? (laughs) Yeah. And it's sort of like that. I don't know, like that little, uh, you know, (laughs) I have two teenage sons and I know I get on their nerves sometimes because I just ask the same questions like, you know, well, what if you had done it the first time, you know, like, would you be having this problem if you had just done it when it was a sign instead of waiting? And And so I can see it when I start going into my mom mode and I'm asking them those questions and you can just see on their face that they're just like, oh my God, but I'm right. Like, I know I'm right. (laughs) So even the self-talk, I think we have to like put on the mom voice too and be like, what is this trying to teach you, Jen? Like, come on, you're going to have to just deal. You're not going to get out of it because you ignore it. Like, what are you trying to do? The mom voice is like what like (laughs) spiritual gurus call like the higher self, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, It's just like the wiser version of you that's like not stuck in the muck that can like see the big picture um, and isn't so like self- maybe self-centered or like even like self-pitying probably um but self-pity and self-centeredness like I I am guilty a hundred percent of having this recurring thought of like I don't want to be inconvenienced stop inconveniencing me and it could be somebody who's just like on the road with me and they're just driving too slow and I have somewhere I have to be or it could be like somebody in my house spilled something and now we have to take a minute to clean that up or you know it's just like stop inconveniencing me and then I also have to think through like okay why do I feel so um in a hurry all the time like this is a completely it's a construct I've built like no one's expecting me to be anywhere right now and I'm still frustrated that you're driving slowly or you're in my way or you made me stop or you know what I mean Yes. And to have that like moment of self-awareness is so important because otherwise, I don't know, it's a sad way to live to just be like constantly like, you know, angry at the world. Um, And so for me, that question of like, what is this trying to teach me, I guess, brings me back to a level of self-awareness and like helps me look at the situation um, with a healthier perspective. Um, and, and sometimes it, it leads me toward, it, it definitely like, cause it puts me in more of a solution oriented mindset, but sometimes it also just helps me to reflect on like, like you said, like, what are my, what are the underlying beliefs here? Like, and are they healthy <laughs> underlying beliefs? Like is, I don't know, like, like, like you said, like the overworking thing or the, like, I have to like stick to this, like really tight schedule thing is like, what is underneath that? <laughs> There's something there. And like, do I want to live my life? You know, 
um, in that way. And so I think that question just helps me like, yeah, ask hard questions about how I'm showing up in my life. Um, unlearn ways of being that like aren't doing me any good. Um, and yeah, it, it can be really powerful. It really can be. I, you know, I wrote, I read a book called burnout and, mm. um, it was awesome. But, and, and two of the big takeaways were about perfectionism, like having a mindset and an attitude of perfectionism. And then also, feeling like you have to over like glorifying overworking. So really celebrating that you never have time to do anything but work or you're married to your job or, and, and then like living into that. Right. And, and not making space for other things that, that um, can be salvation, like getting adequate sleep or (laughs) drinking Mm -hmm. water or, (laughs) you know, it's like, I, I, and I, when I was reading it and I was thinking back, like, do I do that? Do let me just think. And then I would catch myself in the day telling somebody like, I live on coffee. I drink coffee all day long. It doesn't matter the season. It's not like a a winter drink. It's an all year round. And then I'm thinking, why do I do that? Like, why, why am I fueling my life on caffeine? That can't be good for me. (laughs) And like a, uh, an attribute that I've assigned to who I am is I am the person that has to be fueled by caffeine every day. Which mm-hmm. is just, it just made me stop and think like, why are we doing that? Oh yeah, no, I can totally relate. Especially in my first years teaching. Like I was like, I mean, I was such a workaholic um, and had space for literally nothing else in my life, which was like at the time worked because I was young and like, didn't have any, but like, it wasn't, I couldn't build a life because I was literally giving a thousand percent of myself to my job. Um, and it did lead to burnout. Um, and I think there is for sure in our culture and, and I think in education particularly, but you know, just in American culture, this like glorification of busyness, and almost like a competitive, like workaholic ism. I don't know if that's a word, but, um, (laughs) but like, I don't know, like, I, I just, I don't think it, it's doing anyone any favors. Um, and I don't think it, especially in the realm of teaching, it's like, it's not sustainable. It, it doesn't keep teachers around for the long haul. And it, is it really what we want to be modeling for young people? Like we talk so much about, you know, how, like the, the social and emotional health of, of students. But like, if we're not taking that seriously in our own lives, can we really teach our kids how to do it? Um, and so I do think there's this like, I don't know if it's a double standard or something, but where we're like, we have to like really take care of the social emotional needs of our children, but like we don't take care of the social emotional needs of the adults in the building. Um, And so, yeah, that has been a big aha for me. And I felt it especially as a mom because, you know, it is just so much harder as a mom to carve out time and space. And so one of my learnings over this last year was just like, it doesn't have to be revolutionary. Like self-care doesn't have to be like a huge, like, I don't know the way that it's marketed, especially can feel like very unattainable. Yeah. Um, and also very inaccessible and exclusive, but, um, self-care can just be like small daily 
examples um, that bring you back to yourself and like get you out of that tailspin that I get in where I'm like, I have to do a thousand things. And like, I'm only worthy if I'm like achieving 8 billion goals. And like, um, and just like, yeah, bring you back to reality a little bit, ground you. Um, so that's been, that was a big, that was a big learning for me this year. And like really asking myself, like, how badly do I want to feel good? <laughs> like how, because there was, especially at the beginning of the pandemic and like being a new mom and being just so exhausted and like probably having a little bit of postpartum anxiety. Um, it really took discipline for me to take care of myself. Yeah. And like, it was way easier for me to just like, I don't know, at the end of the day, just like crash out and like watch Netflix and like eat a bag of chips, but, sure. um, which can be self-care also, <laughs> but like for me to really ask, like, what's going to make me feel better. And it may not be the most fun thing for me to do right now, but I will feel uh, the relief and like the compounding impact of that over time. Yeah. Um, in a way that makes it worthwhile. Yeah. I don't know. I just rambled. No, I, there were so many things that you just said that I'm like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be revolutionary, right? It can be, it can be just carving out a little block of time where you can be alone. And I think that as teachers and sometimes as parents, you're never alone. And no. so you are, you're constantly tending to the needs of somebody else and you just can kind of get lost in the hustle of that. And then finding time to just have a little bit of separation, even if it's half an hour or an hour where you go on a walk or you close Mm -hmm. your bedroom door or you take a nap or, I mean, it doesn't have to be something major where you join the gym or, or have a spa day. Like it can be something (laughs) like really, really, um, small that you can control. Um, but it also, I think like there's, I saw Carrie Underwood commercial for her new line of like fit wear, um, And she just, I don't know what caught my attention about it, but she said something like, I feel guilty when I do. And I feel guilty when I don't. Yeah. She was talking about just making time in her day to take care of herself. And I thought, oh, that's kind of, that's so true. You know, like I beat myself up when I'm like, choose to do something other than exercise. But then when I'm exercising or doing something, it could be anything, not just exercise. I rarely exercise, Um, but it could be, you know, just whatever, whatever it is, I will, I will also beat myself up because I'm, I'm not, I'm inconveniencing someone else because someone else is watching Elise or someone else had to create time in their schedule to let me do this. You know what I mean? Like, oh my gosh. Yes. Of course. I know what you mean. Are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like that's a good place to ask the question, like, what is this feeling trying to teach me? And that might be one again, where like you, like there's some sort of conditioning that we have to unlearn as women where it's like, okay, why do I believe that I have to constantly be on call for everyone other than myself? Right. <laughs> like what social structure, societal structure, like imbued me with that belief? And like, can I replace it with a better one that like is <laughs> nicer and more effective and like allows me to take care of myself and take care of my family? And like, yeah. So yeah, it's tough, but Another thing that I was thinking about when you were talking, and I was actually thinking about it, I think I was listening to one of your episodes, I can't remember which one, but um, was about self-care. And one thing that really helped me like kind of loosen up to the idea of self-care, because for some reason I like had some sort of like rebellious, I don't know, knee-jerk reaction to it, I guess, at some point in my life, was that 
actually the term self-care, I think if I remember correctly, originated from like Angela Davis and the Black Panthers movement. And it actually came about as a way to sustain activism. And so like it, the idea is like, you have to care for yourself in order to care for your community. That's right. Um, And like, if there's no better description of like, there's no better description of teaching. It's like, you have to care for yourself in order to care for your class, in order to care for your students. And like, it's just so basic, but for some reason it's so there, it's just, there's, in my experience as a teacher, it didn't feel like part of the culture. Um, if anything, the culture was more about like, we talked about like that competitive busyness and that like competitive hustling mm-hmm. um, for your kids. It was more about like, what are you willing to sacrifice for your students right. rather than like, how can you take care of yourself to take care of your students? Um, and for me, ultimately that didn't work. Like it, it, I still definitely work in education, but like I couldn't stay in the classroom because I was just so deeply overworked. And like every part of my life was falling apart. Um, and I wasn't, I didn't have the tools I have now to take care of myself back then. Um, and so I really feel like so strongly that these self-care tools just like can be so important, are so important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I, um, I remember I, I was listening to a podcast called, um, I think it's called Girl Boot Camp, hmm. and they were talking about. I'm looking it up real quick. I will find it in a second. But they mentioned Audrey Lord, and I went and I kind of started reading some of what Audrey Lord, who she was, and what she, her activism, and what she said it was caring for myself is not self indulgence; it's hmm. self preservation, and hmm. that's an act of political warfare. So like everybody around me wants me to not be successful and wants me to not show up in my power, then I have to do everything I can to preserve who I am so that I resist that. So that it's just an, it's an actual act against that political warfare that's trying to be oppressive, right? That I can't be beaten down. I have to actually take time away and, and preserve myself it's not even about care it's about it's not indulging myself it's about like actually caring for myself in a way that's going to make sure that I am a sustained that I am sustained and that Mm -hmm. I can still show up and that led me to um this organization this nonprofit called the nap ministry and so if you don't follow them on in on Instagram (laughs) you've got to follow them the the nap ministry And they are awesome. And they just talk about how rest is resistance. And Mm -hmm. that when you you take time and that we are constantly conditioned to think that we're not allowed to rest, that we aren't the people who get to rest. And Mm -hmm. so um, just letting that soak in and letting it, letting it just sit with me for a little while has been, and, and reading books like burnout has helped me take a step back and think about it's challenged what I think about the way that my life works and what my ambition is and what my level of productivity tells me I should think about myself. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense. It makes total sense. It makes total sense. That's so powerful. Um, I was reading an article recently 
I think on like Edutopia or something that was about also like the, the, um, what am I trying to say? Like, we don't like, again, we need to create cultures in education that promote and encourage this kind of, um, yeah, that encourage this kind of self-preservation or self-care because it, it can feel like another thing that a teacher has to do, you know, it's like, okay, now I have to still reach all these goals and you want me to take care of myself. For sure. sure. Um, Like, so how can we build it in? And I don't have the answer for that, but this article actually did give some actionable ways to do that. I don't know if we can link it or something, but I'd have to look back at it. It was like, you know, it was talking about like how to build um, a schedule that allowed teachers more time um, to plan or even like, you know, just creating like a culture where like it was praised if you like, you know, took time, the time you needed to take care of your mental health or like um, where certain resources were more available. And so things like that, where it's not just like another thing that a teacher has to do, but like we, again, create systems that encourage and allow for, um, yeah, this kind of stuff to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think about how just the notion of taking a sabbatical and what other industries have done for their for their employees in terms mm-hmm. of like providing sabbaticals, um, paid sabbaticals, um, that that is like a concept that's entirely foreign to the education field. Mm-hmm. But when you step away from your work, I think some of the, your most creativity can come from those breaks of rest. Um, mm-hmm. And so giving each other permission too to like do it even if you can't, even if it's not a systemic thing, but to just do it anyway to find one. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, so I'm going to ask you about your weekend last weekend, because I do feel like that was just when, when was I, I, <laughs> I was like, I, so earlier in the conversation, I was like, it doesn't have to be revolutionary. And then as I was saying it, I'm like, but sometimes it does. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, sometimes um, it's like, we have to just stand here and say like, screw the system. This is yeah. what I need. I'm going to do it. And when yeah. I texted you and you were like, I'm taking a weekend, I was like, get it. Yes, do it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So I took a weekend. I booked myself a hotel. <laughs> um, I had not spent a night away from my family since 2019. Um, and I don't think I had, I had not woken up past 6 a.m. <laughs> since my daughter was born, um, which was January 2020. Um, and so I kind of hit a wall. <laughs> and I know like that's a lot of people's realities, but I think I also like I was having this feeling of like every time I get some momentum in my work um, again after like having Riley, my baby. Um, something happens, something interrupts it. So it was like, first it was like, I was on maternity leave and then I was just starting to get back in the swing of things. And then the pandemic hit. And then I was like, ah, what? And then I kind of pivoted in the midst at the beginning of the pandemic. And then, um, something else. I mean, then school started like the situation in school just started to change. And it was like, okay, I kind of feel like I have to pivot again where kids started going back in person. And, um, and then my family went into quarantine cause we were exposed. 
And again, I felt like there was this screeching halt and then the snowstorm, again, a screeching halt. So it just kind of always felt like I was like just getting my umph back and then like something would happen. (laughs) Um, And so I don't know, the snowstorm for me and my family was super lucky because we didn't lose power. Um, But just it was something psychologically (laughs) just happened where I was like, I've hit a wall. Like I've been adaptable. I've been perseverant. I've been, you know, just making the most of a bad situation, keeping a positive perspective, taking, trying my best to take care of myself and my mental health and show up for my family. And then all of a sudden I was like, I need, I need a minute. (laughs) And by a minute, I mean a whole weekend. (laughs) And so I literally booked myself a hotel, like and was just like, I'm checking out. Like my husband, I was basically like, you, you, you don't call me <laughs> unless there's really an emergency. Um, and I actually felt super guilty, of course, because like you were saying, and I was like, oh, I can't spend this much money, like just for me. Like I could be spent, like we could be doing like a family vacation. And like, and so then I was like, maybe I should invite my husband to come meet me on Saturday and and then so I like eventually I was like you can meet me for dinner but I don't think you can like I don't think you can stay the night (laughs) (laughs) I love him so much but I just really needed some time um and it was trans like I I don't really know what happened but I relaxed in a way I haven't relaxed in a year I did not look at my phone I read books I like at the end of the weekend, Jared, my husband was like, what did you do? And I was like, I have no idea, (laughs) but it was magical. (laughs) I like brought my guitar to the hotel and played music and read and journaled and stared into space and like ate a bunch of food in my hotel room by myself in silence. (laughs) Exactly why your food was hot. And (laughs) yes, I didn't think about anyone else's needs at all. (laughs) I didn't check the baby monitor I just totally checked out and I really felt so like refreshed and renewed when I came back um, and so grateful. Cause like I didn't miss my family, of course. Um, but everybody was okay. Like they made everybody it. Was okay. Everybody, everybody was fine. okay. Yes. It didn't go exactly how it would have gone if I was there. <laughs> everybody <laughs> made it. Let go of that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that was also really like, that was a good learning for me is that like, I don't need to control every detail of every day for my entire family. (laughs) Um, and also, yeah, it just, it felt like a really big exhale for me. Um, and it has given me like a renewed energy that I really needed. Well, Um, you know, like I, it's more than just making sure the physical needs are met, but it's also for me, like I also don't process my feelings out loud all the time because mm-hmm. what, if I do, it makes my kids nervous or it makes mm-hmm. Carlos uncomfortable or worried, or it makes, you know what I mean? Like there's a little ripple effect too, of just like processing your own emotions. And so I feel like if you can get away, then if yeah. you need to cry, nobody's like, are you okay? Is everything yes. going to get you? How can I help you? Or if you need to be mad about something, there's nobody there saying like, what's wrong? 
what, you know, mm-hmm. giving you unsolicited advice on how to get over it. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I think that those times away too allow you to just like, let me just deal with what I'm feeling without the pressure of like putting someone else out or making them feel like they have to do something for me because that's yes. like exhausting too. Yes. It, yeah, totally. It gave me a lot of space to feel my feelings and to and like not to move past that, like just to feel them, not to find a solution to them, right. not to be consoled about them, exactly, you know, not to try to tuck them away quickly so no one saw them, <laughs> just to like let them out. And so that alone was just like, I mean, it didn't really take more than that. It was just like the space alone was huge. Um, and another big thing that it did remind me is like, Cause I do, I have resistance like anyone else to the things that I know make me feel good. <laughs> you know, like for some reason, sometimes the hardest thing in the world is like taking five minutes to like breathe um, or like writing in my journal, which does actually really help me. I don't know. That's not everyone's favorite thing. Everybody's self-care practices are different, but for me, writing in my journal is really helpful. And for some reason I'll resist it and resist it and resist it. Cause I'm like, oh, God, there's so many other things I need to do. Right. Um, And so it did remind me again that like, wow, I just feel so much better if I like step outside for 15 minutes. (laughs) Like, why is it so, why am I like building it up? Like, it's such a hard thing to do. I don't know. I do that freaking hard. (laughs) Like for me, it's going for a walk or a run. It just, it totally clears my head. And I am a better person every time I do it. And I like never do it. And I have so many reasons why the time or the weather or just whatever, like there's, and I don't know why I'm like, what is my hang up around just doing the thing I know is going to make me actually feel like myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And probably I wouldn't have needed to take a whole weekend away if I had just done those small things. (laughs) (laughs) Let it all build up. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Probably could have just been 20 minutes a day. But I let it build up to the point where like I needed to like run away from my life. (laughs) Um, So, but yeah, it was really, it was really good. And what was really like reassuring about it was every time I told someone about it, I'd be like, oh, like I feel so guilty. I'm booking a hotel. Like what a waste of money. And everyone would be like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Like, yes, do it a hundred percent. Don't text me. Don't call me. Let me know when you're back. (laughs) Like, because so I just having that mirrored back to me, it was like, oh, you're so yeah. worth it. And if and when we're better, everybody around us benefits, right? So yeah. it, your family is worth it too. Like your family's mm-hmm. worth it. Your colleagues are worth it. They're worth us showing up as the best version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we would want that for somebody else is also true. Like it, I want that for you. And when you told me I was so excited, have I done the same thing for myself? Not yet. You know what I mean? Like it's, I would want that for you. And so I, I do think that like sitting with, if I would want it for someone else, I should want it for myself is really important too. That if I would give you, you know, if I would support you and, and amp up that feeling for you, then I should do the same thing for myself too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. And I think that's what really came through for me when people were like, yes, do it. I was like, oh, wow. Everybody is just waiting for permission. Exactly. We, like, we just kind of have to give ourselves permission. Yeah. 
and stop comparing ourselves to everybody else, right? Oh like, my gosh, yes. It's a, there was a period of time. So another big thing for me um, this year, last year, I guess now, um, was just being like super real about the impact that the internet was having on me um, and social media in particular. And just like getting real about the fact that there, that it, that I like was spending too much time on it, that it was like affecting my mental health, that, um, it was robbing me of time that could be used to do the things that make me feel better instead of mindlessly scrolling. Um, and that is actually one of the things that's harder for me to hold myself accountable to, because it is so easy at the end of the day, like once the baby's asleep, just be like, Ooh, like, (laughs) you know, Um, such a trip too. I mean, because, you know, it goes both ways where you look at somebody's post and you think like, I judge that person because of whatever Mm -hmm. it is that they are doing or, and I think they shouldn't be doing it Mm -hmm. or I judge them because I think like, how did, what did they give up to get to do that? Or, and then then I start judging myself where I'm like, golly, you know, she's got X many kids and I only have three or, right. She's yeah. all these cool things and I can't even get, you know, one workout in a week or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> yeah. so I do you feel like it's, it's a trip because I don't like who I am when I'm looking anonymously right. through somebody's stuff and judging them. And I also don't like that. I start comparing myself to whatever standard I think someone else has set for, for the way right. that works. Um, it's a trip. It's hard. Yeah. And I feel like it's kind of embarrassing to talk about because no one wants to be like, I spend too much time on social media or like, I let social media affect me or like, you know, like that's an embarrassing thing to admit. Kind of (laughs) feels a little bit childish, but the reality is that like the technology is designed to be addicting and like it is designed to have this impact on us. And so for me, just being honest about it, especially like mid pandemic when like I was we weren't seeing anyone we weren't like doing anything else. It felt like the only way to connect, but it also felt like a kind of inauthentic way to connect yeah. and a way that didn't make me feel good about myself. Um, and so I had to be really deliberate about like, I took like a long social media break and now I, I just have to be way more boundaried about like right. how much time I'm spending on there because it does bring up a lot of comparison for me, especially as, a, as like a small business owner and like, following other like-minded businesses and seeing their progress. And then just like reminding myself that most of it's BS anyway. <laughs> or just like everybody's going to put their best foot forward when it's right. Over, right? Like no one's really, you know, yeah. people are going to tell the whole real story. Right. Right. Um, I just, for me, I had to, I had to turn all my notifications off. Mm-hmm. I think I, I've said this maybe in another podcast, but I am a slave to the notification. If it be oh. my phone, I'm done. I'm gone. It's I'm yeah. in whatever it is that whether it's a text or a phone call or an email or social media thing, like if it pings my phone, I'm, I'm in. Like it just doesn't even matter if we're eating dinner, or if I'm out on a date with Carlos, if I'm reading at least a bedtime story, mm-hmm. if whatever it is, is going to get interrupted by the ding on my phone. Like just, mm-hmm. I had to turn them all off. So oh, yes. 
<laughs> I'm so pro turning the, the dings off. I also like, I think I got to a point anxiety wise, which again, I think maybe I had postpartum anxiety, <laughs> but where like dings would like set me for a, I, like, if someone rang my doorbell or like a ding went off, my husband is on call a lot because he works in like this medical device sales. And so he has a call schedule. And so his phone, he always has to be like, yeah. you know, which really, it was hard for me, but like, <laughs> the ding or the phone ring, like all of it. I was just like, ah. <laughs> like just too much. Like, leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> just leave me I alone. don't need to be like accessible at all. Like the idea that we have to be accessible at all times. Not and good. I think I've also said this, that's so counter my generation. I, uh, I grew up where cell phones did not exist. Pagers did not exist. Like none, mm-hmm. there were, there was no way to find me if I wasn't in your line of sight. Like there's just, so it's also being accessible 24 seven is just counter the way that I grew up. And so it just annoys me too. It's just yeah. another reason that like, I'm just not gonna, I'm sorry, everybody who's emailed me and it's taken me 36 hours instead of 24 hours <laughs> to respond to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't get pinged when the email comes in. <laughs> we forgive you. That's, I think I feel strongly that that's how it should be. I, I think that like speaking of creativity, I actually think the constant availability thing is really counter to doing any, like, you know, to doing deep, meaningful work. Like if you don't have that time to like sit with your thoughts and your ideas and like process and then well, you're just forever reactive. Um, and that doesn't lead to like real transformational work. I don't think. And I mean, we kind of all want to be doing transformational work in education, totally. right? Totally. Um, if we're constantly being reactive, like, I just don't think it's best for anyone. Um, and it's like, you're never going to rest. And rest, I think, is, I think you just have to have it. Like, you have to just have a mental break from, mm-hmm. from the hard work that we do every day. I think you can get compassion mm-hmm. fatigue when you're working, um, you know, with populations of students and or teachers or just the community at large that have big needs all the time. Mm-hmm. And as a compassionate person, you want to, you want to meet those needs as a parent, as a, you know, we just, if you see a need, you want to go and fill it and you can become really fatigued doing that. So you do have to take a break. And it yeah, can, I've never heard that that. can mean, yeah, that's like a real, um, psychological thing you can become fatigued. Um, mm-hmm. and you, and so you just become numb to it and then you become burnt out and then you're, and then you're just stuck and you don't know the next right move anymore. Um, so taking a break is really important and taking a break can mean like staying off your phone, changing your social media settings, <laughs> not having the notifications, like all those little things that we were saying, it doesn't have to be something revolutionary and yet it can be revolutionary you know just that one thing can be the thing that makes the difference for you Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it reminds me of when um well one of the things that I read over the summer was I it's been a while since I read it so I'm probably not going to do a good job of capturing it but this um educator and activist I think her name's Barbara Love and she has a framework for activism that has four parts and I can't remember all four of them right now but I remember one thing that she really emphasized was 
I think the first one was like awareness, becoming aware of a social issue. And then there was analysis and then there was maybe something else and then action. But she was like, so often we move from awareness to action without the pause and the time in the middle to analyze. Um, And I think that all of these distractions contribute to that. It's like, if we could just pause, (laughs) I feel like pause is like the most powerful thing. Pause is so powerful. Totally. As a parent, pause is my biggest tool. And as an educator, it was too, like pause and assess. Right. And even five seconds between the, like the situation you're in or like whatever the behavior from the student or the behavior from the child and then your response, it's just, it can make such a difference. Um, And I don't think we have very, we don't really build in moments of pause in our lives very often. And so I'm very much for it. (laughs) (laughs) I think when you do pause, then you can really live into the two mantras that you brought to us today, which are like, what is this teaching me? If you're always on the go, you're never going to have time to think about what are you supposed to be learning from this situation? Mm, Yeah. And then then also, you know, just, just remembering that you're in a constant state of becoming and that that's okay. Um, And so I think like taking the pause is what allows you to live into those two mantras. Um, So we are encouraging all of you who are listening today to just take a second to ponder, to, to reflect, to breathe and to wonder what you're supposed to be learning today and to remember that you're in a constant state of becoming and we love you for it. Yes, totally. Thank you for, this was fun. This was like, (laughs) I felt like a mishmash um, (laughs) of just my, yeah, unedited (laughs) uh, (laughs) thoughts around this last year. So thank you for letting me just ride the wave. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. And I, before we before we get off, just tell us a little bit about your new curriculum and where people yeah, can find it. Yeah. And then like one little shout out about what we're going to be doing with salt this this. Interview. Oh, yes. Oh, you're good. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So I think I mentioned that Crea um, pivoted this year. And so the huge pivot was this offering of the CREA curriculum and CREA toolkits. And so the CREA curriculum is a um, curriculum that includes 25 TIC-aligned lesson plans, 25 um, PowerPoint presentations, and all of the student materials and manipulatives that are required to guide kids in designing and executing projects that they care about. So it moves through eight pillars um, from idea generation to um, narrowing in on a project idea to project planning to project execution, to showcasing student work. Um, It walks through all eight of those pillars and in the process teaches kids these eight creative mindsets that I mentioned earlier. So things like adaptability and resourcefulness and courage. Um, And it's really robust and it's TIC aligned for people who um, think who, for if that's important to you, um, it is, easily adaptable. So if you're someone who just really wants to pull like the community building components of it and use that in your classroom, or if you're someone who's new to PBL and like needs like a more rigid um, approach, it's all laid out for you. So it's really um, designed to be like super user-friendly. 
Yeah. And it's really powerful. I mean, I've run the program with kids across San Antonio and private public and charter schools, and it is transformational everywhere I run it. Um, and, um, the, I'm also now leading teacher training with teachers so that they can, you know, be equipped to, to use the curriculum effectively in their classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep hearing like, oh, I usually have struggled to pull like one or two things from a curriculum that I actually want to use in my classroom, but there's just so much there. So it's really robust. There's a lot included in that. Um, and then the toolkits are, if you uh, t- want to take more of a baby step into this, into the CREA approach. So if you're not like ready to like buy a whole curriculum and like um, dive in, dive in um, then the toolkits are, are divided into each pillar. So if you just want to try like brainstorming project ideas in your classroom, or if you just want to bring like a project planning tool into your classroom, then you can download the toolkits. And those are actually available on a sliding scale basis um, because we do want access to this experience to be super equitable. Um, and so it's a pay what you can model for the toolkits. Which is, Where do yeah. you find it? Is it on your website? Um, yeah, it's on creaeducation.org. There's a shop button there and there's a drop down menu that says either curriculum or toolkits and you can buy it there. Um, and if you're an administrator and you want to buy this for your schools or your teachers across your campus, then you would reach out to me directly. My email is stephanie at creaeducation.org. Um, and but if you're a SALT member, then- if you're a SALT member, <laughs> <laughs> then you will have an opportunity to win the curriculum um, an upcoming Instagram live series. Yes. So yeah. you guys need to follow SALT and follow CREA on Instagram. And then we are going to do a series of Instagram lives. And during those sessions, um, Stephanie's going to lead us through some of the activities that the students would be engaging in, um, but it'll be like the adult version. And we encourage you to bring a glass of wine. It'll be on Zoom. Um, and at the end of each session, we're going to give away a full curriculum. Is that right, Stephanie? Yes. Yes. Um, you said it was going to be on Zoom, though. I think it's going to be on Oh, Instagram. you're right. Sorry. Not Zoom. Scratch that. <laughs> it will be just like it's going to be kind of like conversations with teachers about again how they're navigating through this challenging time while we do some sort of like meditative creative activity um again talking about mental health and like taking care of ourselves and self-care during this time so yeah I'm super excited to give it away and I've been getting a couple this week a couple of administrators and teachers sent me pictures of kids using the curriculum like awesome amazing so um yeah I hope everyone will follow the work and I'm so honored to be on the podcast so thank you again for having me you're welcome and thank you for being here I'm excited about the stuff we have going on in our partnership together and I'm looking forward to our Instagram live so I will see you soon and I hope everybody joins us yes bye everyone bye I'm Jen Maestas and you're listening to Miseducation This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.